Hello, and thank you for making Teaching Matters part of your online listening experience. This podcast is produced by NPR affiliate WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. You know, one of the things that I think we all have learned, not just because of COVID, but really just because of the advancement of technology, is that more and more of the things that we used to do entirely face-to-face is now being done in online and mobile environments. And, you know, some of those work out really well, and some of those uh, maybe aren't quite as good as, as what we got face-to-face. But but there's no question that digital transformation, particularly in the use of synchronous communication tools, uh, is really impacting nearly all aspects of our lives. We're fortunate today to have Quentin Cook um, being a guest on the program. Quentin has worked at the forefront of digital transformation and online communities with leading companies such as Spotify, Instagram, and others over the past and over the past eight years with an online community and communication platform called Remind. Quentin has been president and CEO of Remind for the past two years. And Quentin, I'm really thankful to have you on uh, to talk about some exciting things that your company's doing. Great to be on. Uh, happy to happy to chat with you. Yeah. So, you know, before we get into uh, talking about Remind and particularly the tutoring services that you all have stood up, I, I want to learn a little bit more about you and what you're bringing into um, this conversation. When I was looking at your credentials, you know, one of the mm-hmm. ways that I would that I, having known you now for a grand total of maybe two minutes, <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things that stands out to me about your your experiences is that you've sort of been involved in various types of community building organizations really since you graduated from college. Some of those were digital, but some of those were face-to-face, it looked like. What are some of the experiences that you've learned about the importance of communication and community building across your career arc um, that now informs, you know, how you're leading Remind? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but I think you can still find this maybe on LinkedIn or one of my resumes. But, you know, for, for many years, uh, you know, through college and, and earlier, you know, a really formative experience for me. Um, was that I was a summer camp director and a summer camp counselor. Um, you know, when I think most of the, the fellow people in my program in school were off doing like, you know, engineering internships at, you know, Google or Apple or something, uh, I, I shipped off every summer to go manage a summer camp in, in Maine with, you know, 300 campers and 100 counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually a really formative experience for me because um, to me, you know, building a community uh, helping people grow and learn. And that's not just the campers, but it's the counselors too, mm-hmm. uh, has been something I've really enjoyed from, a, from a very early day. Um, and I think that, you know, when I've, you know, as I progressed, you know, through various, you know, jobs and technology where, um, you know, or I've worked in media or social media, um, the thing that I've always been really interested in is the way that the internet has allowed more people to participate in in uh, in the world and in conversation with each other and build and find the communities that are really important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that that being said, you know that's a really high uh, highfalutin way of imagining you know some of these companies that I've worked at that, that you talked about Spotify and Instagram. But I'll say you know I very explicitly you know after having worked at those companies uh, was looking to get into education was looking to build 
uh, a service that had a an even greater positive impact on the world, um, one that I, I felt like really needed to exist in order for the, the next generation of students to really succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's what drew me to Remind. That's what how I found Remind. What what was it that drew you to education? I mean, what you know, you sound passionate just then when you described that transition, but that yeah. was a pretty radical change from you know at that time <laughs> when you were with Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I uh, so I come from a bit of a family of educators. My my father was a, a teacher, and my sister was a, a teacher, and did actually uh, teach for America. Um, and again, I, though I personally was never a teacher, I think uh, I've I've always been been drawn to uh, to students. You know, that's that's why I uh, you know, worked worked at a, at a summer camp for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it seemed like our ability to serve our students, you know, really was a leading indicator of our success as a, as a country and as a nation, mm-hmm. uh, like not to be too grandiose about it, but um, you know, the ways that we failed our students had uh, drove huge ripple effects uh, later on in life. And, and, um, and the ways that we show up for them and help them succeed despite challenges uh, will only, you know, prove out really fruitful for our society. And so that, that that's, I think, what really uh, drove me to it. Um, some of it was, you know, very idealistic. And some of it was, you know, trying to see if there was, uh, you know, ways that new technologies could really amplify what teachers were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the, the other thing that, you know, as I dug into it that I found was I was actually very skeptical of a lot of education technology services um, and, and really actually quite picky about what I wanted to end up, uh, uh, what I wanted to end up work on. Um, because I think that so many, so many pieces of software out there, um, the underlying objective of them is, oh, well, you can just plop kids in front of this and they will learn. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, you, you as a teacher can now manage 60 people in a class instead of 40 people in a class because you have this tool. Um, and to me, that just seems really antithetical to, uh, w- what I know to be true about how I learned in school. Uh, it seems uh, almost dystopian and, you know, the, the future outcome of, of education. Um, and I really wanted to see if there were, if there was a way for it, technology to help education become more human and and uh and more connected rather than uh more automated and more factory like <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah when i was learning about remind uh, and preparing for this um it it also struck me that the the uh the founders of remind had a personal reason for creating a platform like this do you f- i know it's not your story but do you feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about the creators yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Remind was founded um, by by two brothers uh, around 2011. Um, and, uh, you know, he he was fa- it was founded because one of the brothers really struggled uh, with learning disabilities and, and with, um, you know, in, and struggled a lot in school. And then what really made the difference for him was the way that one teacher really went out of their way to support him and build a relationship with him and be in really close communication with him and his parents, always sort of guiding him, um, making a plan with him uh, and helping him through it. And, and what he realized was 
that too many students don't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And there's too many barriers uh, to those really formative relationships uh, from happening. And I, and I think, you know, that's his very personal story, but I think each one of us, if you think back about what made you successful in school, mm-hmm. you're not going to remember a textbook or a, or an educational game or the school's administrative like database software that they use in their office. You're going to remember a teacher that challenged you or mentored you or opened up a, a whole new area of study to you. I mean, I, my entire career, I fell into technology. I wasn't a kid who, who thought from an early day uh, that I wanted to go into software. Um, I happened to take a like iPhone programming course during college. Uh, and the professor was wonderful and got me tremendously excited about this whole new industry that was starting to open up. Um, and he changed the course of my life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I've talked about him before. And, and I think all of us can talk about a teacher that yeah. really altered the course of our life in that way. And, and it's because they went out of their way to build a relationship with you. Um, and teachers have an incredibly hard job. They're incredibly under-resourced. They have so many students and parents that they need to build those relationships with. And there's so many barriers to those relationships from forming, you know, time, distance, language, comfort with technology, um, all these things that can conspire to make it really easy for students and parents to drop through the cracks. Um, and that was really what the, the founding mission of Remind. Yeah. And so we're going to get into talking about the tutoring aspect, but yeah, Remind started mainly as a communication platform. Am I correct in describing it in that mm-hmm. way? Can, can you kind of talk yeah. about how the platform that you all have tried to create might be different than other tools that exist, like LMS systems, email, uh, and things like yeah. that? So Remind started with just like a very simple goal of how do I make it as easy as possible for a teacher to build those relationships with students and parents. And we, you know, before I even got here, when, when it was just, you know, the, the founders, um, they were really laser focused on that goal of building relationships. And the, the key insight is that for that to be effective, you have to actually reach people the way that they want to be reached, which mm-hmm. sounds so obvious, but the trouble is, is you can, you know, there are a lot of software services that have some element of messaging inside them. I mean, you could you could Facebook message people, you could message people inside your LMS, you could um, send them an email, you could send them a letter, <laughs> right? Uh, but in the end, uh, for real relationships to sort of flourish, um, you have to meet people where they are and how they expect to be reached. And in this day and age, um, honestly, a great unifier is SMS. Um, you know, just simple text messages. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still many families that don't have access to smartphones or don't have access, access to reliable data um, or don't uh, or, or are very data conscious and, and sort of worried about downloading additional apps. Um, so even still, uh, SMS is a really important part of our platform. Um, and so a lot of our story has been how do we make sure a teacher can very reliably reach every student and every every family member in their class? Um, and I think, you know, it, it, that sounds obvious, but most other platforms that offer some level of messaging just can't come close to all of the things we've done over the years from offering two-way comms over SMS to um, offering two-way translations 
to all the accessibility work we've done on the app, um, to really making sure that parents are first front row participants in this conversation, not just students. Usually, uh, whatever piece of edtech software you're talking about leaves out important parts of that equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so remind is sort of the, the place where truly the whole community can come together. What are some, I know that this is going to vary greatly, but what are some of the typical use cases where, um, teachers would use remind the, the communication platform? Like what, what are they, what types yeah. of messages are they using it for? So it's called Remind because, you know, one of the big core use cases is just reminding folks about things going on in their class. Mm-hmm. There's a quiz tomorrow. We're going on a field trip. Um, don't forget your homework. Hey, you should, hey, we discussed this in class today. You should have a discussion with uh, your student about this. Um, and it's an important just sort of like uh, foundation for relationships getting built around the classroom. Because the thing is, is that unfortunately what can happen in classrooms that aren't actively using Remind and aren't actively trying to build relationships um, outside of the classroom walls is it can happen where the first time that a teacher talks to a parent is when something's gone wrong. Yeah. Is when uh, a student gets in a fight or gets a bad grade on a quiz or, you know, you have to talk to them about missing their homework a lot. And that is really not a great way of beginning a relationship with a parent, right? Um, you, you're going to start from a high stress situation, a, a place where the parent may be mistrustful that the teacher has the student's best intentions. Um, there's there's all these things that make that conversation really fraught. But if you have a a if you've built a relationship since the start of the school year, you know that the teacher has been watching out for your student. Uh, encouraging them on their progress, that they really care about your student, um, then those hard conversations, which are going to come up at one point or another with almost every student, um, you, you know, they're much easier to get through. Um, so, so I think that, you know, what, what we really want to see is we want to see, you know, multiple times a week, just like positive uh, looping in sort of conversations at the classroom level so that when there is a challenge, when a student is struggling with something, um, everyone can really quickly move in to support them mm-hmm. from a from a place of trust and, and mutual respect. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I, I don't. I, this isn't a perfect analogy to a classroom, but I, I for a while my daughter and I were coaches for a local um, middle school basketball team, and mm-hmm. one of the things that we learned very quickly as novice coaches is that communication with the student athlete and the parents is really critical to keeping everybody in a happy place, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And and it's incredibly incredibly hard to do. Um, and the point that you made. I think really stands out to me that, you know, the lesson we learned in our first year is that when the parent comes to talk to you about playing time and you haven't been able to give them really much of an explanation because they haven't been at practice and that sort of thing, it's a really hard Mm -hmm. conversation and very awkward, as you can imagine. Um, Mm -hmm. When we started having uh, better solutions for digital communication with everyone to talk about those things, it's not that those discussions went away, but as as coaches and, and, you know, our philosophy is that we were teachers, um, obviously, um, we had mm-hmm. much better ways of communicating um, what our criteria were for playing time and, mm-hmm. and how, how we were trying to be transparent and fair with the student athlete and how sometimes the parent's role in that isn't as 
isn't as direct as as it ne- as the parent perceives it to be, right? You know, they're not mm-hmm. at practice, and so I totally get what you're saying, and and see how um, yeah. from a teacher standpoint that would just be magnified because you're not just talking about basketball; you're talking about you know all aspects of behavior and also academic uh, content knowledge, um, which is tricky. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I so I have a son now. He's only 11 months old, so he doesn't have teachers yet. But um, for for many years, another example that I would pull out is uh, I, I've had a dog, and and we've had a couple of different dog walkers over the years. Um, mm-hmm. But the ones that I love the best are the ones that send me regular pictures <laughs> yeah. of my dog yeah. at the dog park. Do I know that they are necessarily a better dog walker? No, but I have way more insight into the mm-hmm. happiness and health and, 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 you know, behavior of my dog because they are in regular communication with me. So it doesn't even have to be, um, it doesn't even have to be really, um, you know, directive or it doesn't have to, you don't have to right. put a lot of energy and effort into crafting this communication, just like keeping folks in the loop. Uh, can be so, so powerful, I think. So Remind, you know, sort of started and built its, its success on being a robust but but easy to use uh, communication platform. And you've now expanded into having tutoring be a part of your service. What what led to that decision? So, you know, we, uh, we have an incredibly widely used, you know, classroom messaging tool. And that's just a free tool that teachers can pick up and start using. Um, and, and any, any teacher in any classroom can, can use it today. Um, then, you know, for the, in the past sort of five years or so, we've been, uh, building sort of whole school and whole district communication. That's what we call remind hub. And, and that's, you know, when a, when a school district wants to put all of their communication, not just in the classroom, but all the way up through the district level onto remind, that's what we help them do. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, about two or three years ago, um, we're really looking at sort of, okay, what's the next frontier for us? And the the biggest thing that we want is we really wanted to get even closer to really uh, helping student outcomes uh, change mm-hmm. uh, and improving student outcomes. Um, we, you know, communication we think is so key. We think that it is, uh, you know, really the driver or the engine of student outcomes because it builds those relationships that help support students in times where they are struggling. Um, but we wanted to uh, we wanted to get even deeper in there, especially with the students that are falling really behind. We were you know dismayed, as I think everyone who works in education is, at you know the number of students you know below grade level. You know, before the pandemic, that was something like you know thirty percent, thirty five percent. Now it's closer to 50%, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we're, we're really thinking like, okay, how, what, what can we do that is maybe unique um, and that we would be uniquely suited to do? Um, and, and that's sort of how we came to tutoring. So, you know, when we looked at, when we looked at tutoring um, and specifically, we looked at all of the research around high dosage tutoring. And unfortunately, there's not a governing body who says, you know, what, who can call themselves high dosage tutoring. And I think that there's actually a lot of folks, a lot of services out there that are saying that they are high dosage tutoring when, when I, I would maybe take issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the research is pretty clear that if you want to have really transformative outcomes for students meaningfully behind, you need to have uh, a regular ongoing relationship with a trained tutor 
It needs to be, uh, they need to have standards aligned materials so they know what you're working on in your class and they, and they, uh, they can work on the same thing with you. Um, and it needs to be in small sessions of either one-on-one or one-to-three or one-to-four. Um, and it needs to last, uh, the, the sessions need to be very regular. So it needs to happen at least once or twice a week, but preferably three times a week um, and over the course of a semester. Mm-hmm. That sort of high dosage tutoring is something that we felt we could offer uh, in a pretty unique way uh, because we are able to bring together all of the participants that need to uh, come together to make that succeed, the teacher, the admin, the parent, and the student, and the tutor, um, and have them collaborate in a way that, you know, previously was only possible if the tutoring was happening inside the school walls. Um, and you know, there are many schools that are trying to roll out tutoring programs in their school walls, but what they run into is it's hard for them to hire enough teachers, let alone hire yeah. a, a large army of part-time tutors. Um, and, and so, you know, we think that what we've, what we've built is something that is as effective as in-person tutoring. If it's rolled out with the school and with the admin, uh, in, in a close partnership, uh, but, at a much easier way to to manage the program because you don't have to manage all the tutors yourself. They they come from they come from us. What so since you've uh, expanded into tutoring, what what have you learned about the intersection between your platform, which provides robust communication tools, and the tutors <clears throat> and students relationship? I mean, so so the subtext yeah. of that question is, you know, you're right that there could be obviously benefits to in-person tutoring where that relationship is established. Are you able to get close to that and be yeah. able to replicate that in a, in a synchronous online environment? I, I think in some ways it's actually even better. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's been really just sort of amazing to see is that because all of this tutoring is built on top of the communication channels that we've already built, mm-hmm. it takes advantage of all of the ways that we uh, already reach beyond common barriers to communication. So we've had tutors uh, get rolled out to students whose families could never pay for tutoring on their own, uh, didn't even think about it because they speak another language at home, and so they didn't think they could actually collaborate or work with a tutor, um, and and had no sort of way of uh, of even considering, you know, trying to get this help for their student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because, you know, we're, we're built on, you know, a two-way communication platform that has SMS and translations and all this stuff sort of built into it. Um, you know, we've had parents that said, I, I never thought that I could collaborate with, uh, with a tutor before for my student. Like this is, this is life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the, in the end, you know, the, these tutoring interventions need to get rolled out by the school. They need to get paid for by the school um, because that's the only way that the students that really need the interventions are going to get the support that they need. Um, and, and, but when you do that and when the school facilitates, you know, the time and place where the student is getting the tutoring, so they say, hey, during this period, you're going to go to this room and, and log into this service uh, and get your tutoring session. Um, and then when we connect the tutor, the teacher and the parent in a message thread, so they can all collaborate and talk to each other mm-hmm. about the student's progress, even again, across language barriers and device barriers and time barriers, sort of magical things can happen. And, 
you know, the, the thing I'm really, really proud of is, you know, high distance tutoring, the baseline metric that you should think about is for it to work, a student has to show up to the sessions, which again, sounds obvious, but <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of services out there where you just get really, really low participation rates. I mean, you know, the homework help services out there where it's sort of like on demand and you can type in a question at any time, something like 3% of students may end up using that. Mm -hmm. That's not going to make a dent in the students that are meaningfully behind. Other, you know, awful statistics are only 4% of parents regularly log into their school's LMS. Um, we on our on our you know tutoring programs get around eighty percent of of student participation. Wow! Um, and that is, you know, hey, I'd love that to be a hundred, but that is tremendous. Yeah. That is the students that the school has said are meaningfully behind, uh, and so by definition, they are the least engaged students. So to get eighty percent participation rate is, you know, we're really proud of that. I remember um, it's been a long time since I've looked at the research on tutoring, um, you know, back way back in grad school. But, I, you know, I know that there's a lot of research documenting the effectiveness of direct tutoring, mm -hmm. but I've never actually or I don't recall seeing very much research about how there's an important element of the teacher and the tutor interacting with one another. What What types of... You know, what type of information flow makes that optimal for the student in the long run where the teacher and the tutor are, you know, talking back and forth about success? So I think the the way it shows up in the research that at least the way we interpret it is they t they often talk about, um, you know, having the tutors be uh, standards aligned. Mm -hmm. um, and so really to us, what that means is the tutor, uh, the tutoring session is going to be more effective. You're going to be able to get more done in the limited time that you have with the student. If you come into the session, really knowing, uh, the specific curriculum and, and modules essentially that the, the student is working on and where their specific gaps are. Um, and so that's, uh, something you can get through assessment and testing in the tutoring session itself, but it definitely moves faster um, if the the teacher sort of shares it directly with the, the tutor. And mm -hmm. so um, and and so the, the, the teacher can really level set on, you know, where where are they seeing the, the students struggle? What are the specific skill gaps that you know they need to work on? And then the tutoring session can much more quickly get right to the heart of the matter. And, and work on those things. And then, you know, as you progress through the course of the semester, you know, that changes and evolves and, oh, you know, this new gap has opened up or, or, or you know, uh, that one has been filled. We can move on to the next, the next topic. Um, and, and so you, you sort of want them to, to, to be able to communicate back and forth. And it's, it, it's interesting to think about that because as the teacher uh, develops a relationship with one or more tutors, they start to understand how, they can work more effectively with the tutor and it just magnifies, you would hope, you know, the outcomes for the student uh, as both of those individuals, the tutor and the teacher, become more comfortable working with one another. Exactly, exactly. And and again, you know, we don't want to ever uh, <laughs> stretch teachers further than they're already stretched. They have a lot on their plate. And so we need to make that sharing of information as easy as possible, mm -hmm. as fast as mm -hmm. possible. Um, but, you know, what we hope is that, you know, when you sort of take this sort of team teaching approach, 
uh, you end up, everyone gets to be more successful. The teachers are more successful. The students are more successful. The tutors are more successful. Yeah. So when you all made the decision to move into tutoring, uh, you had to basically stand up a whole new arm of, of talent in your organization. What, yeah. what are the things that you, what are the things that you look for in a tutor who's going to be working in an asynchronous, uh, in a synchronous online environment like this? I mean, what, what makes a great tutor yeah. from your, from your eyes? So, you know, we've had a, a big uh, advantage because we are so widely used and widely known amongst classroom teachers um, that w- at least right now, all of our tutors are uh, either active or former classroom teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they are very experienced. They know the curriculum. They know the um, they, they know the skills that they're, they're trying to develop in these students. They, um, they, they've done this for years. Um, and so we don't have to do a lot of, you know, training someone how to be a, a, a teacher. Um, so the things, the most common things that we sort of like rule out as in, in our interview process, um, for tutors are either folks that, um, you know, don't actually have any teaching background um, or if they do have teaching background, if they just don't have um, sort of the facileness with uh, virtual learning tech, basically video conferencing and, and using the shared whiteboard, mm-hmm. um, you have to have some comfort level with uh, sort of remote uh, remote software like that uh, mm-hmm. in order to be effective. Um and I will say that's improved a lot uh, over the over the past couple of years because a lot of people got much more comfortable with it, with video conferencing and, and remote whiteboarding right. uh, d- because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's that's the biggest thing. But again, we we feel very lucky because we get to work with educators who are passionate, experienced, uh, dedicated, and they uh, and and they are the real magic that that makes tutoring work. Um, all we do is we confirm that, you know, they have that background and we confirm that they have some expertise in the materials and subject we want them to cover. Um, and we confirm that they can use our tools our, our you know, video conferencing and whiteboarding tools. And then we match them with students. And it's just, it's just, it's when a student regularly shows up for tutoring, it's like magic. It is unreasonably effective. I mean, we, our very first student, I remember, uh, was failing um, their, uh, I think their pre-calc class. And she stayed with us for a couple of years and in the end got a five out of five on her AP calculus exam. Hmm. Um, and it's just, it, it transformative stories like that are the norm with high doses tutoring when a student actually shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the thing that if I could like speak directly to you know, the admins who maybe listen to this podcast, you know, the thing that I would say to you is the the thing that you need to make sure is that you can set up your high dish tutoring program in a way where you are sure the students who need it actually show up to the sessions. So the tutoring programs that don't work are ones that rely on uh, the student or the families uh, who are, again, are unengaged to opt in to these sessions. The, the programs that work are the ones where you say, hey, you're gonna have a period or you're gonna have this time right after school contiguous with the school day 
where you are getting this tutoring session and then you go home after that. Um, it's a, it, if you can set up those programs and it takes a little more work on the administrator's part um, and on the school's part, but those are the programs that are just transformational for the students meaningfully behind. Hmm. Have you had, um, how do you deal with issues of digital divide? Um, given that your platform is, you know, dependent upon some level of, of connectivity. Yeah. yeah. Well, so this is another uh, one more reason why, you know, sort of what I was just saying, like for the tutoring sessions in particular, the, they are most effective and you're able to reach the most students when uh, the school manages when their student is getting the session mm-hmm. and uh, and where they're getting it and what yeah. device they're getting it on. So they're, they're on a Chromebook or on a, or on whatever sort of laptop or, or iPad that the school sort of provides to them. The, the session, you know, the video conferencing session that happens with a live video and a, and a sort of a shared digital whiteboard um, that requires, you know, a laptop, you can do it on a tablet, um, but it requires, you know, a larger device. Mm-hmm. But the great news is all of the communication and relationship building that happens around the session, um, you know, the session notes that our tutors write after every session, Hey, here's what we covered. Here's, here's how they progress the communication between the the tutor and the teacher. Hey, here's what the student's been struggling with. Um, you know, encouragement to the, to the parent to make sure the student stays leaned in. All of that happens across any device, you know, and that's again, just the heart of our mind and what we've always been good at. That can happen over SMS. It can happen on, on Android, on iOS, mm-hmm. on web, over email. Um, and so we've worked really hard to bridge that digital divide because we know that there's many families where, you know, their access to data, their, their comfort with apps on their phone is very low. And so SMS is really the great unifier there. So I, I guess the, the last question is, is sort of the crystal ball that you have. I mean, as somebody that has, you know, been deeply involved in digital transformation for a good chunk of your career, where do you think that, I mean, you've already given some comments about, you know, different flavors of ed tech companies and what it is that Remind is trying to achieve with yours. Where do you see, you know, the biggest opportunities for, um, you know, impact advancement, I guess is what I would say mm-hmm. in educational technology. I mean, and and I say that in the context of, you know, in this podcast, I would say that, you know, just about every other episode deals with ed tech in some way, right? So it's, it's mm-hmm. ubiquitous in the field, um, almost like popcorn kernels going off, right? And so, yeah. so where, where do you think as, as a CEO of one of the leading companies, where do you think that we have the biggest opportunities for gains, you know, thinking about when your child will reach, you know, elementary school yeah. and middle school? Well, what I'll tell you what, what I'm, what I'm hoping and what I, what I sincerely hope we are able to do, you know, as a country is become really, uh, unaccepting of having 50% of our students below grade level. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that we need to, uh, that needs to be a top national priority. I think we need to look at that and really do some soul searching on is that, are we okay with failing our students like that? Um, And then we need to look at the interventions that actually can make a dent in that. Um, and the thing is, we we know what those interventions are. High dose tutoring is perhaps the only truly effective intervention mm-hmm. for students meaningfully behind. And the 
the the all it takes is organizational willpower and budget uh, to get those students the help that they need. Um, and I think you know COVID actually sort of accelerated some of this. I think there's you know 22 states now that have high distance tutoring regulations on the on the books and and are starting to sort of roll out programs. You know, I think actually Texas is a leader here where um, they passed a regulation that requires 30 hours of high dosage tutoring um, for students who don't pass their state exams, um, which I think is a model for the rest of the country. Every every state should fund such programs um, because I think that we are going to look back at, you know, uh, the history of public school in this country and and hopefully say, oh, gosh, I can't I can't believe there was a time where we didn't offer tutoring to students who are below grade level, mm-hmm. um, just like. I can't believe that there was a time where we didn't have special education, or I can't believe there was a time where we didn't offer lunch in school, um, or we didn't offer buses. Right. Um, I think it's, I think it needs to become just part of the expectation of the bundle of services that you get when you go to school is tutoring. If your student is behind. Um, I, I, I think that the, that, you know, that movement is beginning but there's a lot of there's a lot of organizational change that districts need to go through to figure out how to support these programs. Um, there's a lot of budget that needs to get allocated and regulations that need to get put into place. Uh, but I, I I see that as the just the most important uh, challenge for us to work through to help these students. Yeah, and especially when you you know add the complexity uh, and and what I think your company is trying to solve is that it can't just be a local public solution. So if you are committed, you know, as a district to doing, um, you know, high impact tutoring uh, programs, you probably aren't going to have all the resources you need in your community to do that. And then certainly in a community like Athens where it's pretty small, right? Um, You have to figure out public private partnerships really to bring all those resources to bear. So I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah. Yep. Well, Quinn, um, I really want to thank you for giving us your time today and uh, wish you the best of luck as you continue, um, not only with, you know, a great platform for learning, but also um, obviously with your advocacy for, you know, what needs to happen across the country going forward. Great. It was, it was a pleasure talking with you. And uh, yeah. It's great to, great to be here. Very good. My guest today was Quentin Cook. He's the president and CEO of Remind. If you look in the text accompanying the podcast, you can find a link to his LinkedIn as well as to the company. I want to thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth, your host. We hope you have a great day.